You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Hey everybody, episode 154 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast is now underway. You can stop holding your breath. This is probably a little shorter of an episode um, because of time constraints, but we are talking about a Tesseract mailbox tonight where Rick writes in and asks where my articles are on Spiky Bits because he's looking for them, and I explain that whole situation there. And then we discuss if Warhammer 40k has lost its soul, like the essence of what it used to be is it just a shell of a game compared to what it used to be? Or is it a brand spanking new, exciting, streamlined version of the old game that was super cumber- cumbersome and tedious? I don't know. We'll discuss that in that segment. And we also have a Want That, Want That Not, and that's starring Sisters of Silence. And it's a strange Want That or Want That Not, so you'll just have to deal with that. Anyway, what have I been up to? Well, I played a really fun game of Age of Sigmar with my friends TJ and David. And TJ and David teamed up against me, and I played my Tomb Kings versus their Ogre... No, not Ogre Mall Tribes. Um, What are they called? The Giant Ogres. The Gargantuan Guys. What are they called? Come on, Sons of Bahamut or Baphomet or whatever. Yeah, David played those, and TJ played, I'm drawing a blank here, Soul Blight. And it was, the whole game, they were in the lead, and then I slowly shortened the point gap between us over the course of the game, and imagine it like kind of like a hill. I started low, and I slowly climbed up to meet their points. I never did quite meet their points, and then I started dropping off because by that time, most of my army was dead. So I slowly started losing control of stuff. Um, I don't remember what they beat me by. Um, I just simply can't remember. I think it was like in the 20s and I was in the teens or something. It was a pretty significant loss. And um, But it was still a really fun game. I enjoyed playing it. Um, other than that, I have really not been doing anything at all. I really need to finish this brutality supplement, but I'm working crazy hours and all that. So that is basically what the show is about, and I'm going to let you get to it. Oh, oh, you know what? I have, I have something that my friend Leroy Jenkins bought me. Do you know what that thing is? It's a spite pen. That's right, a Warhammer 40k spite pen. So let me get that real quick. Okay, we're going to open up this little spite pen, and the reason why I call it a spite pen is that Mr. Leroy Jenkins heard me say that I thought it was a stupid idea for Games Workshop to do mystery pin bags where you can't choose your pin, and that is what spurred him to send me the money to buy a pin last time, and I got a Sisters of Battle pin, which I really enjoy because I'm starting a Sisters of Battle army. And what we have here is a pin in a folded little cardboard thing, and I took it out of the package, and it is an Inquisition symbol, the little eye with the three bars, and it's pretty cool. Um, You know, to be honest, I don't know if it is Inquisition specifically or if it's Grey Knights. For some reason, I feel like Grey Knights use the Inquisition symbol, but I'm not positive. I cannot, for the life of me, picture 
the Grey Knight symbol. I think it is the Inquisition symbol. But anyway, thank you very much, Leroy Jenkins, for buying me the Inquisition symbol, which I will use for my Grey Knights, because that's more or less what they are anyway. So I will put that on my army transport for my Inquisition, I mean my Grey Knights, and I love how you hear something that I don't like, and then you specifically make me buy that. I, I do appreciate it. Um, <laughs> I actually, I was talking to him this week and I was like, uh, I think it's probably going to be a towel pin because that's like one of the only armies I don't play. And he's like, Oh no. And I, th I think he said an inquisition pin, I think, but, um, yeah. So I did get either the gray Knights or inquisition pin. Thank you very much, sir. And I will see you guys on the next segment. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. On this Tesseract Mailbox, we have an email from Rick, and he writes, Hey dude, it's Rick from Oregon. First name Rick, middle name from, last name Oregon. That's a lie. But my first name is Rick. Are you still doing, are you still doing articles on Spiky Bits? I lost you for a while when you left Bell of Lost Souls, then found you this spring at Spiky Bits. Now you're gone again. New day, not writing them? To be honest, you're the only reason why I ever tempted herpes on my computer with either of those sketchy back alley websites. Tom from Oregon. Just kidding, it's still Rick. <laughs> well, Rick, if that is your real name, thank you for writing in at uh, pimpcron at gmail.com. And uh, currently I'm on hiatus from uh, Spiky Bits doing articles and uh, this is, without getting into the whole thing, it's been a really rough summer as far as employees and all that. It's a nationwide crisis. So uh, my time, my personal time to do all of this Warhammer stuff is extremely limited. And the podcast takes me about an hour and a half once a week to do. So that's good. Um, but the articles take me about two, two and a half hours to write and edit and come up with and all that. So that's why I have put them on hold for the time being. I told Rob that I was just far too busy and he was totally understanding of it. And, um, but it's just, that's just what's going on now. So I am very, very tired, but, um, I feel, you know, the personal obligation and responsibility to keep up with the podcast and the podcast is much easier to do than writing a fresh and unique and humorous and satirical article every single week. Now, also, I have been doing articles for seven years, so that's quite a long time for, um, for doing weekly articles. So, I don't know. I might just be done with articles altogether. Um, Rob and I said we'd wait until the fall or whatever when I, I got some free time and um, see where it went from there. But to be honest, I don't know if I'm going back to it. It's just over the last couple years, I always fluctuate between really struggling to write a new article each week. And then occasionally, like maybe once a month, I would get a topic that I was really excited about and I would write about it. But slowly, the interaction over the years, I feel like these websites are not quite as popular as they used to be. And I don't I don't know that for certain, but I, this is just my guess. Um, because of the Warhammer community page, and they post their own articles and all that. And I feel like the engagement has been less and less and less. I mean, back several years ago on Bell of Lost Souls, I'm talking five years ago, he would shut down the Discuss 
um, forum at the bottom of the the comment section. He would shut down the comment section at two or three hundred comments. And, you know, now at the end of my tenure at Bell of Lost Souls, I'd have five comments, ten. I mean, it's just, I don't think those websites are quite as popular as they used to be. And I think a lot of it's going over to YouTube and whatnot. So if you're not aware of it, I do have Pimcron TV, and that's on YouTube. And I'm doing humorous comedy sketches using Warhammer miniatures. Um, and that is what I'm doing now. And once again, those, like I said, an article takes two, two and a half hours to do. The podcast takes an hour, hour and a half, something like that. And these comedy sketches, once I have the idea and everything, it takes like 15 minutes to put the whole thing together and record it and all that. I mean, it takes like practically no time as long as I have the idea. So it's these are far, far easier to do. And actually, I'm having a blast doing them. So you could search what hammer, W-U-T hammer, or uh, as my son calls it, Wooth hammer, because <laughs> that's somewhat what it looks like, or... Pimcron with one P, Pimcron TV, and uh, that's where you can pretty much find me now. But all of keeping this up is way less struggle than doing weekly articles. So I greatly do appreciate you reading my articles, and I'm sorry to let you down there, which is honestly one of the fears I had. It's because I know I had a, a regular readership of a lot of people, and a lot of people know me for that, but. You know, all good things have to come to an end. And when I first started doing articles, I honestly was just doing it on a lark. And I thought, well, you know what? Maybe I've got like four good articles in me. Like four good articles. And then those four good articles were up. And then I had four more. And then 16 more. And then 100 more. And now I'm up to like 350 articles or something I've written on the same damn topic for seven years. So if you think about that, I think it's more or less ran its course. Now, maybe by the end of the summer, I will miss writing them and I'll get back to it. But I don't know. I think I'm having too much fun with the podcast and the YouTube channel. So we'll see where it all goes at the end of the season. But right now, I just do not have the time. So um, once again, hopefully you'll follow me on YouTube and you'll get your chuckles that way. Um, and then my I mean, in a way, in a way. The podcast is a little more serious than my articles were, and my YouTube is concentrated humor with no commentary, just humor. So if even if I don't do the articles, you're still getting my editorial opinions and my commentary on the podcast, and you're getting the humor on the YouTube channel. So I feel like it's still an amalgamation or a, an approximation of the articles. But anyway... Thank you very much, Rick, for writing in. Or is your name Tom? Seriously, though, thank you, Rick, for writing in. I appreciate it. And please keep listening and check me out on YouTube. Let's get to the next segment. Want that or want that not? Hey, everybody. It is Want That or Want That Not. And I have a strange segment for tonight. It is not really a specific model. It is actually a faction that I want. It is more or less a wish list. It's something that has puzzled me, and I have puzzled my puzzler as hard as I could puzzle, and I still don't understand why this is a thing, or rather, why it is not a thing. 
Sisters of Silence. Why don't they get any love? Why are they not part of any real book? Anything like that? You know, they have the Witch Seeker Squad, and they have the Vigilator Squad, and the Prosecutor Squad, and I think that's all the same box set. I think those are all the same box. I could be wrong. But essentially each one of them has a certain thing. Like the Vigilator Squad has these big swords. And the uh, Witch Seeker Squad all has flamers. And uh, the Prosecutor ones have bolt guns and all that. They have one character. One character to their name. And here's the deal. I am not some huge Sisters of Silence fan. I think they're pretty cool looking. They definitely have a unique aesthetic. And they look like the kid sisters to the um, custodies. But why are they in no book? Why don't they have their own book? Why don't they either get flushed out or absorbed? I'm not saying they need their own book because I'm not sure that they're that interesting. But I'm really weirded out that they're not part of the custodies or they're not part of the uh, Sisters of Battle even. Because the Sisters of Battle have some other stuff in there that aren't necessarily, you know, they have the, the priests and other people that aren't strictly Sisters of Battle. Um, but the Sisters of Islands have really cool looking models and I like the All Flamer Squad and the All Power Sword Squad and all that. It's just weird that they released them, uh, I believe, at the same time as the Custodies. Weren't they in the same box set? I think they were, back in 7th edition. And the Sisters of Silence were like, oh, this is going to be a cool new faction, or at least they're going to be part of the Custodies. But they never were. So, for me, I feel like they should be wrapped up into something else, because they're in this weird limbo state where they're not really part of anything. I mean, assassins technically aren't part of anything either, but assassins can just be dropped in, plug and play into any Imperial Army, so that's kind of like a, a weird uh, thing. And they're also single models. But this is actually squads of people, and they do have a leader. So it's very odd to me that they have not been able to be dropped into anything. And the custodies are, for the most part, basically all the same. Yeah, the, the two-up save and the invulnerable save and all this. And if you were to throw Sisters of Silence in that book, then it would give you some more options, like the All-Flamer Squad. That's freaking fantastic. And it's so weird to me that they do make some models like this and then never support them again and give you absolutely no reason to buy their models that they made. It's like they just had the idea for that box set, and they're like, oh, well, we'll just continue making these models forever and give nobody any incentive to play them. Once again, trying not to be too negative, but I truly would like to see them wrapped up into some other, even if it was Grey Knights. Grey Knights have had their fair share of weird things wrapped up in their codexes in the past. I mean, throw in the Sisters of Silence, although, to be honest, I feel like they best fit with the Custodies, but still... I think this is what I want this week. It is a want that for Sisters of Silence to get some sort of support. And probably the most thing, the easiest thing for them to do is just wrap it up into an existing codex. But I definitely think they should be wrapped up. So that's it for this week. And that is a want that for sure for Sisters of Silence getting some sort of love. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimp Cron. 
On today's Real Talk with the Pimpcron, we are discussing whether or not we have gained the future in 8th and 9th edition, but have we lost our souls? What was the price we paid for this new edition of Warhammer? You know, to be honest, I don't know what has just recently hit me, but I think probably all of you know that I'm not the biggest fan of 9th edition. I feel like it's a lot of rules complications, it's a lot of layers of interaction, it's a lot of fluff on top of everything else, and it's just very convoluted and very complex. Is the game not fun anymore? No, I still enjoy the game. I'll still gladly play 40k. I'm not quitting, I'm not crying and stomping my feet, but... In some ways, I think they've really improved the game with 8th edition specifically. Um, and I guess I'll just be talking about the new rules as far as 8th and 9th edition together, because they're more or less the same, but they're so different from previous editions. So I think they got a lot of things right with the simplicity of 8th edition, and I feel like that, in my personal opinion, was kind of the golden edition. Remember, I've played since 5th, so I played 5th, 6th, 7th, and then 8th was a huge change, and I was all for it. And I think they did a lot of things really nicely. I think changing the ballistic skill to just a blank up on the stat profile, and the weapon skill to just a blank up, I think those were really interesting, and I think it does help speed up the game, because you're not comparing. It, those of you that used to play those editions, you knew that your ballistic skill rating was basically 7 minus that number, and then that would get you, like, let's say your ballistic skill 4, you're a space marine, right? 7 minus 4 is 3, so you would need a 3 up to hit. That sort of thing. And not comparing weapon skills is also not a thing anything anymore. And I think... In some ways, that's really a good direction to go in as far as simplicity. You don't have... That's one less thing to compare and all of that. And a lot of people applauded the removal of the flame templates and the blast templates from Warhammer. And that's kind of the focal point of what I'd like to discuss here. Because, to be honest, the more I think about it... I mean, we've been playing 8th edition and 9th edition for, what, three years now? I think it's been out. Uh, the two editions. And I kind of find myself missing flame templates and missing blast templates. And the reason for that is that flame templates were so satisfying. If you hopped out of your rhino and you positioned your flamer guy just so, and you put that template over that squad and just got to hit all of them automatically, it was so satisfying. And it really took strategy, where you're replacing your guy and how clumped up were the other people and all of that. And also there was the visual representation of a huge gout of flame coming out of your flamer and covering this whole unit. It was, it was really awesome. And I kind of miss it because of the visual aspect of it, the literal sense of it. You know, like now you hop out of your rhino, right? You got, he's got, I'm just going to be ridiculous. He's got 174 people practically on top of each other. I mean, they're just, they're, they're making out and they're base to base and they're just huddled together. And then you roll your D6 to hit, and you get one hit. Okay. Well, that's that's fantastic. You know, but the Flamer, if he was not smart, then he would have had his people all bunched up, and you would have gotten uh, probably ten people under that Flamer. And the same thing goes for Blast Templates. Blast Templates, while they could have been a little cumbersome, and occasionally people would disagree with 
oh, my guy is not technically under the template or whatever. Occasionally, that was the case. But um, the way that it worked and having that visual representation of that template, of that blast on the battlefield covering this unit and all of that, that was so much fun. And it was so... as The minute that they changed it to D6 shots... I immediately would called BS on that. Now, of course, now they've made it different with the Lehman Russes, where if they don't move or move half, then they get to shoot twice, and that has somewhat helped. But I, um, I really do kind of miss the blast templates. And I know everyone always talks about, oh, there are so many arguments about who was under the template and who wasn't. I mean, to be honest, in our gaming group, we're all pretty casual, and nobody really ever complained about it. I mean... You would occasionally run into somebody at a tournament that was like, oh, blah, 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 blah. But generally not. Generally, it was it was pretty obvious who was under, who it wasn't. And if you guys disagreed, you rolled off or whatever. But it had that narrative visual representation of an actual missile hitting the ground and the explosion and all of that. And I feel like, in a lot of ways, they have kind of stripped some of the player skill out of Warhammer with the advent of 8th edition. Whereas it used to be that, you know, you wouldn't want to bunch your people up because of the flame or the blast template or whatever. You didn't want to do that. So you would have to make sure that your people were spaced out, which of course the argument against that would be that it does slow down the game a little bit. But you know what? A million D6 number of shots also slows down the game. So it's kind of a... Mm, I don't know. And what about the risk? There is a real risk that your template may scatter off into one of your other units. And you know, you always hear in the movies or whatever, the, um, they call Broken Arrow, where they just call an artillery strike down on themselves because the enemy is overrunning them and they're too close and all that, and they yell on the radio, Broken Arrow, Broken Arrow, because they know that they very well could also be hit by the artillery, but it's worth the risk. Well, that was very similar to if you had a unit that was getting ready to charge this, this other unit, let's say you have a melee unit of your own getting ready to assault, this other unit, then shooting that blast template was potentially dangerous for your own people. I mean, you scatter 12 inches into your own unit and all of a sudden you're hurting yourself. And not only is that fun, but it was also pretty random. And it also really did give you the feeling of this shell had danger to it. Like there was actual danger to the game. And that might cause you to also maybe not get quite as close as you, as you might have normally because you're afraid the shell could land anywhere. Versus D6 number of hits. Okay, and then you hit with your ballistic skill. I, I don't hate this new version, but I feel like some of the fun and some of the skill was taken out of it with these two new additions. And let's talk about vehicle facings. Now, I know, I know the complaint about vehicle facings. Um, for those of you that don't know, the newer players, there was a front arc, a front armor arc, uh, side side armor, and rear armor. And it worked great for all of the square vehicles like a Land Raider, a Rhino, etc. It did not work so well for, let's say, um, a Piranha, a Tau Piranha. Now, how on earth do you get a rear arc on a Tau Piranha? The front of it is wider than the back of it. 
and the back of it is so tiny, like it's it's not square in any way. So I can definitely see where com- arguments happen from that. But to me, that was also a lot of strategy because you wanted to get in the rear arc of the armor and they wanted to prevent you from the rear arc of the armor. And like I said, it could just be nostalgia talking, but I did enjoy having the armor facings. And I do kind of miss that strategy. Once again, this is one of those deployment or movement or positioning things that requires skill to do. Versus just, oh, it doesn't matter whether I'm shooting you in the back or the front or the side, it doesn't matter. And I truly, personally, don't want to go back to vehicle facings. I don't want to go back to armor value and all of that. I actually do like the toughness for vehicles, so I think that's one of the best things that's, that's come out of 8th and 9th edition. But, I do feel like, and this is my personal compromise, okay? My personal feeling is, is that they should get, if the if the shooter is completely behind, or within the rear 180 arcs, you'd pick the middle of the vehicle, and you draw a line left to right, and if, if they're completely in the rear 180 arc of that model, they should get plus one to wound. I, I just feel that way. And I think the amount of tactics that that would bring to the game, as far as the placement and position and all that, you do not have to bring back armor facings. Just keep the toughness. And I think that would be fantastic. And it's easily, you know, implemented into the game. It wouldn't be a big deal. But I feel like just like I said before about the, you know, the, the foundation used to be heavy, but the walls were all dressing. Now it's the foundation's really light and then the walls are super heavy. I feel like it used to require more skill as a player and then you had the dressing. Well, now it's like, it's all dressing and no skill. There's no, nothing to it. And um, remember guess weapons? That's a little before my time, but I used to have my, my old 5th edition orc codex, I believe, still had G48, which was guess 48. And I think at that point, it's my memory's fuzzy, I think it might have been FAQ'd, but I think it was like the bubble chucka, and a couple of the things were G48. And you essentially had to guess how many inches that was away. And there is an argument to be made about simplicity of a rule set because it does get more players into it if it's simpler and easier to use. So I'm not saying that we need to bring back guess weapons or anything like that. But once again, overall, it does seem like there is a stripping down of any skill required to play this game. And now that we have the internet, cry, for crying out loud, I mean, you just you don't even have to make your own list. You just... I see it every day on Facebook. It drives me nuts. Hey, what's a good 1,000-point Necron list? Hey, what's a good 1,500-point Tyranid list? Hey, what's a good... Oh, my God. Do it yourself, dude. Like, wh- what part of this... Uh, whatever. I'm not even going to get started on that tirade. But it just... It drives me nuts. And I really would like to see player skill come back into the game. I don't feel like it should be detrimental to new players that don't know what they're doing. But you know what? Every one of us that played during that era was a new player at some point. And did we die? No. Were we horribly emotionally scarred? Maybe. No. No, we weren't. We really weren't. But here is something else that people don't often think about when they think about bringing back player skill into a game. Player skill 
is universally useful across all the armies. When you take out player skill, then you rely solely on the codex, which means that any disparity between the two codexes of the players that are playing are exacerbated because there's no buffer room of skill. So in other words, just like we said before, that there were core mechanics that applied to everybody, universal rules, special rules that applied to everybody, it was all equal. And then you had some window dressing of, you know, your codex abilities and whatever. But if something was a beast, it followed the same rules as some other army's unit that is also a beast or a jet bike or whatever. And that made things kind of standard across the board. So things were slightly more even. And then couple that with the idea that a player can play a worse army, but be better at it than his opponent. And then he can still do good in the game. Whereas... I feel like a lot of that has been taken out and everything's all just D6 hits this, D3 number of shots this, D... And I gotta I gotta tell you, I've really come to despise random numbers of shots. I totally get it if it is on a orc, you know, like Ludas. I totally get it on Ludas because they're random and they're shooting everywhere and I, I get that. But any other army that gets D3 shots or whatever, it's stupid. Just just pick a number, pick a lane, bro. Like that's that's what you got to do from GW standpoint. I don't even understand what the point of D3 shots of something is cuz just James and I were just talking about the haywire blaster for the Drakari and it's D3 shots. And I'm thinking to myself, why is it not one shot or two shots or three shots? What is the benefit of it being D3 shots? What is the benefit of it being a random number of shots? And really, there's only one benefit, and it's not a benefit at all because it's actually a drawback. It's unreliable. Oh, I fired it this turn and I got one shot. I fired it last turn, I got three. If you're going to go from one to three, just make it two. Just give me two Haywire Blaster shots. That's going to save me a dice roll, and that's that. You know? It's funny how they seem to want to streamline the game, but meanwhile, they've got all these things that slow down the game, such as stratagems, and doctrines, and chapter abilities, and artifacts, and warlord trades, and all the stuff that I'm thinking to myself, you could just streamline this game and actually make it tactical and fun and fast. I don't know. It just seems to me, you know, that's exactly... When I designed Brutality, and I know you're all rolling your eyes always bringing up Brutality again, but it's the truth. I designed Brutality, Brutality Skirmish Wargame, to be the game that I would want to play. It is 100%. I, I have read so many game books of skirmish games, masked battle games, and all this stuff. And like any creative endeavor, you know, you, you go, oh my gosh, I love that. And you, you pick that out of there. And then you read something else and you go, oh my gosh, well, they did this really interesting. Well, I might do it that way too, or I might do it some similar way, and you take that, and you you slowly Frankenstein monster your own ideas, and well, that that goes for television, novels, whatever, movies, any creative endeavor, um, even artists. Like I've, you know, my past, I was quite an artist, and you look at other art styles and you try to imitate them while you're trying to figure out your own art style, and the core rules for brutality puts everybody on the same footing. There are things that you would basically consider special rules that a unit would have, but everybody has them. For instance, the core rules of brutality 
enable for a lot of good tactical positioning and exploitation and all of that. If your base is at least three inches higher than your target's base, when you go to shoot them, that means you've got elevation on them, then you can reroll to hit because you have elevation. That is every single unit, every single army, every single model in the entire game has that advantage. The same thing goes for melee. If you're jumping off a ledge to go get that person below, and you're starting off at least three inches above them, and you successfully charge, you reroll hits. If you are behind someone in their rear 180 arc, you get plus two to hit for rear arc when shooting. Guess what you also get? If you begin your charge wholly within 180 degrees of the rear arc, you get plus two to your fighting skill. Either way, it's 20% better to hit. And if your ally, if you have an ally within three inches of your target, whether you're doing melee or you're doing ranged, you can re-roll the wound chart because essentially they're helping you in the fight or they're distracting them while you're trying to shoot the target or whatever, and you can get a better result if you don't like the result you got. And those three core mechanics apply to all armies. It's not like one of them, oh, my Drakari faction gets to reroll wounds if I don't like the result, if somebody's within three... No, that's everybody gets that. And those type of mechanics help everybody be on the same playing field, and it, and it requires you to have some sort of skill and wherewithal as a gamer. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's punishing new players, but certainly everything you go... Every new endeavor that you start has a learning curve to it. No one starts pro in anything. So, I just feel like maybe we should bring back some of these things. I think that we should bring back flame templates. I do believe that we should bring back blast templates. And sometimes, I don't know, if you're trying to speed up the game, right? Um, Having that straight-up 6-inch charge would really speed up the game instead of a D12. Now... The D12, uh, the, the 2D6, the 2D6 charge really does give some narrative, you know, you might fail a really promising charge, or you might get a really random charge. I do kind of get that, but if you remember in previous editions, um, you could not pre-measure your stuff, which is something else I kind of miss, because that actually required players to have a skill of, okay... How many inches do I think that is? Am I within 12 inches for my pistol? And when, once you declared it, then you had to measure and make sure you were in range. It's, um, once again, uh, a lot less skill goes into the game now. And I'm happy for the new players. I'm happy that it makes it more accessible to people. But I feel like we have lost some of the soul of this game to a random number of shots and a random number of damage and a random charge distance. Okay. Like, once again, I don't hate this game. I just, you know, I think they've done some things much, much better in these editions, but some things could also be revised to just maybe take one step back and do that. But anyway. All right. Well, that's it for this week. I appreciate you listening to the podcast. Thank you to GameMat.eu for supporting the show. And event 10 is 10% off your order there. And thank you to all my beautiful Patreon patrons. I greatly appreciate your support. I will see you next time.